are listening to The Ram Report, a podcast about all things VCU basketball, brought to you by WVCW Radio and the Commonwealth Times, and in partnership with the ESPN Richmond Radio. The Ram Report is hosted by Ben Malakoff and Noah Fleischman. Now, here are your hosts, Ben and Noah. This week's episode of the Ram Report, I'm Noah Fleischman alongside Ben Malakoff and Ben. VCU coming off an 11-point victory at home against LaSalle, their second win in a row. That's exactly right. VCU, a huge win against LaSalle, 73-62. Bones had 24 points. It was a slow start in this one. They had six turnovers early on. LaSalle was doing a really good job of handling the ball. Uh, VCU was getting into a lot of trouble with a lot of sloppy passes. But the second half proved to be the difference. The Rams really locked down. And thanks to Hassan Ward's first start of the season, his performance was huge for VCU, the double-double. He impressed on all ends against LaSalle. Yeah, Hassan Ward really coming into his own. His first start, double-double, 10 boards. He had 13 points, I believe. A big day for Hassan Ward. Bones led the way, as you said, 24 points. I mean, Ben, we saw the slow start. We've seen that happen in the second halves. It was the first time it really happened in the first half of this VCU team. But they were able to, I guess, pull it together and get the job done. That's what Coach Rhodes talked about after the game, really. He was talking about how he was kind of proud of his team being able to really settle it down. Well, he basically said they just had to settle down and figure it out. And once they did, it was like never even happened. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, you know, we saw two halves of VCU teams, what we keep talking about, but instead this time it was the first half that they were making the mistakes in. And then in the second half, that's when they started to really fix it up and, and make sure that those same mistakes were not made so they could finish out this game. And that really shows the maturity of this VCU team and them improving. And Coach Rhodes is really recognizing that and understanding that, you know, for some, th- some of these things, it takes time to develop. But for VCU in this game, they really showed their improvements. And, you know, it should have been a win no matter what for this VCU team. LaSalle is very in the middle of the pack in the A-10 right now. They're not one of the horrible teams. They're not one of the best teams. So it should have been a a win for VCU. And I'm just happy that they got the job done because now they have a much bigger task against a team who has already beat them on their home court. Yeah, VCU will travel to Rhode Island tomorrow to play the Rams of Rhode Island, the ones that wear blue instead of black and gold. VCU fell to them at the Seagull Center, 83-68. to The game was a lot closer than the score shows, but that's just how it is. Rhode Island, 9-9. and Their record does not reflect how good they are. 6-5 and in conference play. They've dropped some teams, some games they shouldn't have dropped. They lost to Dayton, 67-56. to Of teams, people think, right, Ben, you look at this Rhode Island game, People think, wow, they, they lost to Dayton. They, they've dropped four of their games in conference play. What is it with this VCU team? But then you think about it. Rhode Island's a team that VCU has issues with every year, no matter what it is. I think the stat is VCU's only won one in the last 10 meetings. I mean, it's just a team that VCU struggles against, and this would be a big, a big win to keep the momentum going and make it a three-game win streak. URI is VCU's kryptonite these past two years. They have absolutely had their number, and they've been so good. It seems like every time uh, VCU faces uh, the Rhode Island Rams, Rhode Island has their stars shining so bright on the floor. That's Russell leading the team with 14.5 points per game. He's fourth in the A-10 and steals, averaging just under two. Had a big performance last time. You know, I would expect – 
you know, that VCU needs to look for any way to shut him down early on because once he gets going, he is one of the best point guards in the Atlantic 10 conference and a guy who should, in my opinion, be receiving a lot more national recognition as well. On top of that, this team has a lot of shooters, Noah. Antoine Walker, he's a guy who's averaging eight points per game, leads the team in, with six rebounds, but he's also second in the A-10 in field goal percentage with 59%. Uh, Mitchell, five rebounds per game, seventh in the A-10 in field goal percentage as well. So for VCU, lockdown defense is the key early by shutting down Fats Russell and the other shooters on the squad. Yeah, I would say Fats Russell really didn't do a lot of damage against VCU the first time out. He did drop 23 points, but 13 of the 23 came from the charity stripe. He was 4 of 11 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3. So, I mean, VCU did a pretty good job of containing a guy who can go off for 30 at any second, but they let him get to the free throw line. The real guy that got damage done was the Richmond native Jeremy Shepard. He was 8 of 13 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3 for 20 points on the night. An efficient shooting day for Jeremy Shepard. He went off. And that's really what got the was the difference maker in that game. The 20 points and 23 points from Fats Russell, the 20 points from Jeremy Shepard. Alan Bertrand, he added another 13. And after that, the next time scorer was eight, which is Shmael Leggett. But I mean, Ben, you said contain him. They did a pretty good job of containing him. And until late in that second half, he kept finding his way back to the free throw line, which is something that most good smaller point guards in the A10 can do. And I mean, he's definitely one that can make you pay at any time. And I have to wonder, Noah, when we come back at the end of the schedule, at the end of the season here and look at these games and which ones had the most impact on the Rams seeding and if they made the tournament or not, that we'll look at this Rhode Island game and see how important it is. Because today, going into it on a Tuesday, the day before the game, it is looking like, if not one of the most important A-10 games that VCU is going to play to date. And not just because Rhode Island beat VCU last time, but well mainly because Rhode Island beat VCU last time, but because of how VCU is playing right now. If they can overcome their last performance out and able to take care of this Rhode Island team, not only will it show improvement, but I think it will do a lot for their, for their resume come, come March. There are a lot of things to take advantage about this Rhode Island team. They got to be careful. Rhode Island, you know, they, like we said, they are a good field goal shooting team, but three points, it's been a very iffy for Rhode Island. They're shooting just 33% from three, but they do a good job of locking down from beyond the arc. Opponents shooting just 31%, and they're averaging 15 turnovers per game. So there are opportunities for VCU to beat this Rhode Island team. And I think that, that when we look back at this schedule, it is going to be a must-win game. I wouldn't call it a must-win game. Rhode Island, yes, they're a good team, but they're not a great team. But they're also not Fordham. They're not Fordham. They're not GW. They're not the bottom three teams in the league that are playing on that first day in the East tournament. That being said, they're a middle of the pack team right now. They're six and five and eight ten play, but there's plenty of eight ten games left on the schedule, at least realistically, how many more get played with cancellations, postponements. I can't tell you, but it's not a must-win game. I would say it's a momentum building game going into Duquesne on Sunday and then coming and having Richmond back-to-back games. But I would say it's not must win. It's a momentum builder, right? You're going to win three in a row and you're beating a team that came to your home floor and really beat you from start to finish. So, I mean, not a must win. This isn't a make your break part of your schedule, right? Like this isn't you lose Rhode Island and it's like, oh, they're done. Like there's nothing left. BC's third in the Atlantic 10 right now. Third. They were picked to finish ninth. They're supposed to be what Rhode Island is right now. Not this one. 
it's not a must win in the sense that if they lose this game, all hope is lost. Definitely not in that. But if we played St. Bonaventure again, would we be calling that a must win game at this point of the season? No, I actually, think- I would not. I would call that a resume building game. St. Bonaventure receiving the most amount of votes in the AP poll. St. Louis, who's more than St. Louis, 22nd. Yeah. St. Louis hasn't played in forever. They played one game in the last, I don't know, probably 30 something days. But that being said, I wouldn't call any game in like 10 a must win game unless you're playing Fordham GW, right? Like a team you're supposed to beat. Um, any of these teams you're playing in the top, top half of the schedule of Bonaventure or St. Louis the two teams that are above VCU right now in the standings. Yeah, those are probably must-win games for VCU. Not must-win in a sense. They're more of a you win and great, like, holy cow, like your, your resume is really good now. Or if you lose, it's like you lose the game, it's a conference game, but at the same point, it's like it's you, you could make the argument that it's not that bad of a loss. Um, so I'd say the only must-win games left on the schedule for VCU is if you're playing those bottom schools like Fordham, GW, the schools that, like, People are like, really? How would you? How do you do that? Maybe schedule is for them. Maybe I've just started to look too much at how close these brackets are that come out from ESPN and have VCU so close on the edge there. And when and when you lose a game like this, you know, you you look at the previous ones and you see you're in, and then you and then if you lose a game that might not be a bad loss by any means, you lose a game like this, and then you know you're no longer included on on those brackets anymore. All right, let's make a comment about this bracket. We are nine weeks away from the national championship game. Nine weeks. It is February 2nd at 2.44 p.m. as we record this. There's a lot of games to be played between now and March 3rd, the last game of the season against the So I wouldn't be paying too much attention to these bracketologists that have VCU as the last four hour now. Richmond's right there too, by the way. But that being said, it provides a good ballpark, but it does not – mean squad right now right like if you ask coach rose about that right now he'd probably say he didn't even know that they were in the he probably knew but he probably oh yeah not a chance he's looking at it <laughs> so i mean so all i'm saying is people that like to look at these brackets they like to overreact right now right they like to say why are we why are vc in the in the four well it's simple he's just finishing the atlantic 10 most of these early brackets come out are based on preseason stuff that gets a lot of bearing at the beginning right and then the automatic qualifying bid is whoever's got the, the best league record at the time with the bracket coming out so i mean i'm not a big fan of these mock brackets until we get to the last week of the season because that's really gives you a realistic idea so for now until we turn the page in the march i really don't think much of these mock brackets really hold that much bearing because there's still I don't know. What is this? Like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine games to be played. Ten games, if you include the Fordham one that needs to be postponed. So, I mean, Ben, ten games, right? You could win all ten and they'll have you in, right? Or you can lose all ten and you fall way out. So, that's why these, these mock records, I'm just like, they don't mean anything. No, that's true. That's that's all true. But, you know, nonetheless, a lot of these, or there's only a a, a certain number of games that are going to be played in these next 10 that are actually going to have a meaningful impact uh, if you win on your standings and and on your position in that bracket. But like you said, we are a lot, a a few, quite a few weeks away from, uh, you know, really starting to worry about something like that, but always good to know where you're at in the pact as well. 
for VCU, their mentality has always been focus on on that game. It's harder as a broadcaster to just focus on that one game, looking far ahead. But for the players and the coaches, we know Coach Red's mentality, and he's a guy that only likes to focus on what their current task is and what what their current challenge is. And you know, of course, that is obviously you know the the way that most coaches are going to look at, at at games right now. Yeah, for sure. The current challenge tomorrow against Rhode Island in Kingston. But now we'll send it to, we had a conversation yesterday. Adam Linder, the Duquesne Duke, as we looked ahead to Sunday afternoon's matchup between VCU and Duquesne. And welcome back. Now we're joined by Adam Linder of the Duquesne Duke. Adam, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, for sure. VCU faces Duquesne this weekend, and it's pretty much in a brand new arena that opens up this week. So what have you seen just about the new arena that is opening up? Yeah, so uh, it's been a, a long process. They're originally slated to have it open, I believe, the beginning of this year, and then COVID um, basically postponed all that. So they're they're opening tomorrow or uh, Tuesday night against uh, Dayton. Um, it's their first game on campus since March 2019. Um, <clears throat> looks like a big transformation from what it was before. I haven't been inside yet. Um, it will be tomorrow, obviously, but it looks. Uh, a lot different um, than before. It's a phase one of their uh, renovation project, but for the large part, um, you know, it's uh, basically good to go now. So looks a lot, a lot more uh, high quality than, you know, the last, last, uh, last um, building they had was definitely subpar um, as it relates to the rest of the A-10s buildings. Are they letting fans into that, into the arena tomorrow night? So they're just going to have 50 students. They had like a raffle for uh, to get in there. So I think it's limited to 50 students. And then I think each uh, player gets like two passes for like family or friends. So uh, more more than, you know, zero, but roughly maybe 80 or 100 um, overall. Gotcha. So Duquesne coming off a win over Rhode Island – or coming off a win over St. Joseph's. They have beat Rhode Island. this year, 71 to 69. So, I mean – what have you just seen about this Duquesne team this year at six and six? The record may not indicate what they actually potential is there. Yeah. So they had a really, uh, in a rocky start to the year, um, played two games at a Louisville multi-team event, um, before the third one was canceled. And, uh, in hindsight, I think that's where a lot of their COVID-19 problems began. They did, they played, uh, I think it was December 2nd against UNC Greensboro and then went a whole month before playing its next game, January 2nd against GW. Um, and then from there on, you could tell the conditioning wasn't really there. Um, and then a few games later, uh, Lamar Norman, who VCU fans might remember, sent the game to overtime last year um, in Richmond um, with a runner in the lane, uh, departed from the team, and then days later, Sincere Carey, who was basically the leader, had the ball in his hands like 80% of the time. Uh, he left as well. So it left the team um, kind of in a tough spot for sure. Um, only now have they really started to turn around. Marcus Weathers looks like he's really playing himself into shape. Mike Hughes has uh, had a few solid games. So they went from having probably the highest expectations that a Duquesne team's had for a while to – um, kind of a uh, uncertain outlook, but now uh, some of the freshmen have been stepping up as well. Um, Chad Baker is a wing. He's had a few big uh, nights from three-point range. A um, few of the newcomers are really stepping up. So um, 
Yeah, it seems like they might be finding their groove. But with that being said, the best team they've beaten um, in conference has been Rhode Island. Um, so this this next week with Dayton and then BCU coming up is going to be huge uh, to see where they're really at within the hierarchy. Was there ever any more insight on the reasons behind the transfers during this midseason? Did, did any more information ever come out about that? No. Um, Dan Brock kind of – been pretty vague about it basically just said they're obviously they weren't happy um he said in Lamar's case um he wanted the ball in his hands a little bit more he wanted to be more a little bit more of a creator and um with as many players as Duquesne had especially before the transfers um that just wasn't going to be the case um so I think in that in that way for Lamar Norman um I think he may just wanted some sort of bigger role and then the the sincere carry transfer um really doesn't, to the naked eye, uh, make a lot of sense. He ended up committing to Kent State, which is um, a, a bit of a lateral move, I'd say, um, at least, you know, um, within the higher or landscape of college basketball. Um, I think he just wasn't happy. He'd been playing pretty poorly this year. Um, and I think, you know, in hindsight, you could see that he had mentally kind of checked out. I think he played three A-10 games. He played twice at GW and then – played against Davidson before transferring right before the Fordham game on January 9th. And um, he'd been shooting the ball like 20-something percent. He had about as many turnovers as he had assists. It was just like a stark drop-off from the play they'd seen the first few years from him. Um, so if you were to take this season alone as a sample size, they didn't lose too much based off his production. But um, looking at the team at large, what he'd given him the past few years, how they were constructed, um, it was a big loss. And now that's kind of shifted Tavian Dunn-Martin, um, the shorter point guard uh, Duquesne has, kind of into a playmaking pass-first role. Um, but, yeah, the in insight-wise, no, no uh, particular type of information that I could offer. It seems like this year – Duquesne has kind of struggled on offense, shooting 29% from three, but their defense is really what's, I guess, keeping them around. They're the second in the A-10 at uh, points allowed. It's only 63.9 points a game. So what have you just seen on the defensive end from Duquesne? Is that the thing that's keeping them within these games? Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it's just uh, energy at first. You really um, can see the team now just in better condition after – uh, no, no more COVID pauses ever since uh, coming back to play against GW uh, um, early in January. Um, it's really anchored by their big men. Um, Weathers and Hughes are finally back in like peak form. I think last year Weathers had a breakout year and um, brutalized St. Louis. Um, just and he was second team All Conference uh, in the preseason. Um, got off to a bit of a slow start. Um, Dan Brod actually said he had gained weight over the summer. Initially, I thought it was added muscle, but he had been away from the team over the summer. Um, I believe it was tending to uh, his mother, who I believe was ill uh, back home in, uh, so I believe it's either Missouri or Kansas. Um, but he's out in the Midwest. So he came back a little bit out of shape. Um, and finally, now you see him. Um, was just named 810 player of the week um, this past week. I think it's anchored definitely by their defense down low. Um, and then other than that, it's really nothing special. Um, it's mostly just, you know, um, I think a concerted effort um, for on their part, knowing that they are having a little bit of trouble scoring the ball, even when Norman and Kerry were still in school uh, here at Duquesne, 
it was a bit of a uh, struggle for them shooting the three ball. Um, Carrie um, had improved Norman uh, a little bit. Carrie had Norman um, for as nice as his shot looked was never too efficient. Um, so yeah, now it's really uh, pretty much, I think more of a grinded out type style is what they're trying to play. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it offensively. Uh, it's hurt having Tavian move into the point guard role, um, at least for his production itself. Um, his shooting numbers have dipped a lot, um, but a lot of that can be forgiven, given that he's um, basically single-handedly running point guard dude, and he's now on uh, for the Dukes. You talked a little bit about impact freshman Chad Baker. He's pretty much been your guys' best three-point shooting or shooter as of recently. He's shooting 44% from beyond the arc, uh, 8.9 points per game. How big has he been for you guys, especially in conference play? Yeah, he's been ginormous because I think, uh, especially after their transfers, you kind of thought who was going to step up because with the current, you know, how the team had looked previously, um, you know, there there were large holes left, especially by Carey's departure. Um, it should be mentioned, it's of note, that Maceo Austin, who was the third starting guard for Duquesne alongside Norman and Carey, stepped away from the team um, the same day that Carey did, uh, right before the uh, Fordham tip-off on the ninth. Um, he's still with the team. He's uh, practicing with the team, hasn't returned yet. I think um, Dan Brod's not pushing him. He's taking some time off for his mental health. So uh, uh, Maceo Austin's bound as well. Um, so with that being said, now Duquesne's got three new starters on you know, on the wings, um, Tavian at point guard, and then two freshmen now in Baker and uh, Mike Bikel just starting recently. And then we've got a wing named Toby O'Connor, who's um, who had been moonlighting as a starter uh, previously. Um, but offensively against Rhode Island, Baker hit five. I think it was five for five from three. And then a week later at Fordham, I believe he hit seven, which was uh, one of the higher marks for any Duquesne freshman in history. So his emergence was huge. Um, he's very confident. You can see uh, he plays with a lot of passion. I think Dan Broad's been a little um, – little. Uh, I, I don't know what word to use, but it's been a little concerned with um, Baker's tendency to uh, get, you know, really involved with the game emotionally. I think he's got a few technicals um, to his name by now, and he was getting into it with St. Joe's on Saturday. But uh, as an offensive weapon um, – the ability to at least, um, you know, widen the floor with him out there has been huge. Um, and then Tyson Acuff, his stats won't wow you. I don't have him in front of me, so I couldn't tell you exactly uh, what's been going on lately with him specifically. But he's looked a lot more confident as a uh, distributor lately. He's kind of uh, – gives him a lot of size at the point guard spot. He's a freshman from Detroit. Um so his emergence as a bit of a, you know, nothing too crazy stats wise, but as a consistent um, ball handler to kind of alleviate uh, that pressure from Tavian Don Martin has been huge. Um, so any, any contributions they can get from freshmen right now is pretty much going to, you know, elevate or leave Duquesne where it's at um, as things. Yeah. You talked about Duquesne having, having a rocky start to the year right now. They're kind of, clicking and starting to get things under control. Do you think that part of that is, I guess, the distractions are gone, whether that was COVID or guys stepping away and all that, now they can just focus back on basketball? Or is that just something that it took time, but finally the team is 
starting to figure things out. Yeah, you know, going all the way back to their two non-conference games, they lost to Little Rock um, at Louisville. It was their first game of the year. And, um, you know, they looked a little uninspired. I was honestly a little surprised given the expectations coming into the year. Um, and then that's when we kind of learned about, you know, Marcus Weathers, um, you know, with his mom. But then overall, the team itself just wasn't uh, as conditioned, I think, as it normally or typically would have been. Um, and Dan Broad had just said – I believe it was a week, uh, about a week ago, that the team just now in its current state is about where it would be conditioning-wise um, in like a typical year right at the beginning of the year. So they're just now playing themselves into game shape. Um, Post-COVID uh, pause, I think, uh, you know, it's tough to glean. I'm not, you know, in the locker room. But I think a lot of it was conditioning looking back because, you know, at first um, you saw them drop – I, th I believe it was Dayton and then St. Bonaventure. They hadn't beaten any good teams in the A-10. They lost to GW once, which um, not good. Um, but I think I think to a degree now they're really starting to, you know, handle these uh, poor teams, which is something that hasn't been a given in the past. Uh, they lost to GW last year too, and it really hurt them in the standings um, as they look to try to get a double bye for the tournament that never happened. But um, – yeah, I think that especially the arena now is going to give them a large – it'll be, a, you know, a big boon for them um, as far as their mood and energy goes. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't tell you exactly, um, you know, how much of their struggles can be pinned on uh, locker room issues or conditioning. But I, I do know that conditioning has played a large factor, um, not practicing, not playing um, for, a, for an entire month pretty much. One thing that Duquesne has impressed on, and let me know if this is more recently or, or if this has been something that has been more so throughout the whole year is their offensive rebounding. In the A-10, they're third in offensive rebounds right now, averaging 11.4 uh, per, per game. Is this something that has been pretty consistent throughout the whole year, or has, has the rebounding been you know that, that good just more recently? Um, I, I do believe it's been more recent. Um, large factor's been – uh, you know, as I've said, um, Weathers and Hughes' conditioning levels and the fact that they're not playing pretty much at full speed. Uh, another big factor, uh, and again, um, don't have the uh, my sheet right in front of me right now, but I, Mike Hughes has been playing a lot more recently, has not been in foul trouble, which is kind of what's uh, plagued him in the past. has been foul issues. Um, if Hughes isn't on the court, Duquesne's like a wildly different team. Um, past few games, he hasn't had those issues. And as a result, um, yeah, the rebounding's definitely been, uh, been there for them. Um, I believe it was the first half of the Rhode Island game. They got brutalized by, I think it was Mikel, Mikel Mitchell. I don't think it was Mikel. Yeah, Mikel Mitchell just brutalized them because I think Hughes had two early fouls. Uh, he came back in the game and then obviously had a huge second half turnaround. Um, and won that game against uh, Rhodey, which has been their best win to date. Um, but, yeah, basically the key there is definitely Hughes. I mean, obviously Weathers too, but Weathers doesn't have the propensity to foul, kind of like Hughes has in the past. So, uh, yeah, big key there is basically just Mike Hughes being on the court, um, making himself available for those rebounds. Yeah, for sure. Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. And, um VCU and Duquesne tip off on Sunday at 4 o'clock just before the Super Bowl.